here today, we'll be taking a look at the pattern of worship. Our primary text today is from Leviticus chapter 9. Let us hear God's word today. Beginning in verse 1 of Leviticus 9. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before Yahweh. And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering. Also a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before Yahweh and a grain offering mixed with oil for today Yahweh will appear to you. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting. And all the congregation drew near and stood before Yahweh. Then Moses said, This is a thing which Yahweh commanded you to do, and the glory of Yahweh will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as Yahweh commanded. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed a calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys, and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar as Yahweh had commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. And he killed the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons presented him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar. And then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrail and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and he killed it and offered it for sin, like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt sacrifice of the morning. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings, which were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar. And the fat from the bull and the ram and the fatty tail, what covers the entrails and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. And they put the fat on the breasts, and then he burned the fat on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh, Aaron waved uh, Aaron waved as a wave offering before Yahweh, as Moses had commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hand towards the people and blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering. Moses and Aaron went to the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. And fire came out from before Yahweh, consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with thanksgiving that you have called us into your presence. We rejoice in your grace and mercy for the forgiveness of our sins. We ask now that your holy word, sharp as a two-edged sword, cut us up. Rearrange us and conform us to your son, Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. 
So it's very interesting. We just read a long passage, and I tried to put a little bit of ups and downs and momentum in it. But it can be kind of difficult at times when we read portions of the Old Testament. They seem like they drag on. We're not sure what they mean. And at moments, if you've never been on a farm, it seems a little like, I don't know, unsettling in your stomach. But as we consider God's word and all parts of it, we need to think about eating. And eating what we need. A recent survey tells us this. That data from the Department of Agriculture found that the average American consumed nearly one ton of food every year. To be precise, about 1,996 pounds. You know, the study revealed some other interesting numbers. That as Americans, we ate 632 pounds of dairy products, including 31 pounds of cheese. 415 pounds of vegetables. Now, here's what I thought was interesting. They categorized potatoes and corn with vegetables. So fr French fries and roasted corn, I don't, I'm not sure. 273 pounds of fruit and 184 pounds of meat and poultry. That's kind of interesting, thinking about what you're eating, consuming in a year's time. Just as a side note, we need to remember that over 10 billion donuts are consumed in the U.S. every year. So compare that. You know, when I was growing up, I was considerably older than my brothers, but I had one brother who was particularly not fond of his vegetables. And he was really slick in trying to make my mom and dad believe that he was eating his vegetables. Now, I don't know how he did this, and the discovery of it was, well, really unsettling. But for a good number of months, he had been getting the vegetables off his plate and into his socks. And what he would do is, after dinner, he'd go to his room, take off the socks, and throw them under the bed. He was determined not to eat his vegetables. Now, children, if you just heard me describe this situation, do not do this at home. For several reasons. You know, my mother was always saying, where are the socks going? You know, and we all say that, but they were really going somewhere. And so what happened? One day, my mother goes into my brother's shared bedroom. It's like, what is that foul odor? She goes around searching and discovers the stockpile of socks. Now, to be honest, I don't recall what she did. I suspect that they were all discarded. But my brother didn't want to eat his vegetables. You know, there, there I did some additional research on this whole why we don't like to eat our vegetables question. And there are, there are several reasons why children and some adults don't like their vegetables. Now, I'll say this. I know a guy, a good friend of mine from Louisiana, that every time he goes out to eat, he so doesn't want to eat anything green, that whatever the vegetable of the day is that's supposed to come with your entree, he negotiates with him to substitute it 
for a dessert, which, by the way, he promptly eats first. But, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what we will do to try to stave off having to eat what's good for us. But, you know, the first reason that, that often we don't like our vegetables is that they can be bitter. This bitter taste is caused by the calcium content as well as the present, presence of many beneficial compounds such as phenols, flavonoids, isoflavins, terpenes, and other kinds of healthy substances. So the very thing that our bodies need, we don't want to put in our body because we don't like the taste. The second reason is that we don't like to eat our vegetables is because things like cakes, desserts, candies, and foods that are rich in great flavor are often associated with holidays and parties and happy times, right? So you, you have the way it tastes and then the association of really good tasting things and parties and the, the, the good emotional feeling that you get. You know, children often do not want what they need. They search for other ways to get what they need through other means, even if their parents are providing exactly what they need. We as Christians can fall into these very temptations ourselves. The most important thing that a man does is interface with God. If this is the most important thing we do, we need to understand how to worship correctly. Today in the Christian church, there is a great variety this morning in churches all over the country. Much of this variety is in the style of music. Regardless of the style, the church should sing the Psalms. The book of Psalms is God's hymn book. The church suffers when we ignore God's songbook. Why are there so many service structures across our country today? You know, what we call the service structure in our church, we call the liturgy. And every church has a liturgy. That's the pattern that they worship by, predominantly the way they do it every week. And Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines liturgy as this. It's in a general sense, all public ceremonies that belong to the divine service. That is to say, all ceremonies where the people of God come together as one people before God Almighty, and we come before Him to worship and know Him. Do you remember that study of eating that we were citing earlier? It pointed out that 52% of Americans, those that were polled anyway, believed doing their taxes was easier than figuring out how to eat healthy. You see, in the same way, many Christians do not see the passage in the scripture where the Lord's Day service is outlined. They don't see it clearly. They don't know it. This is because in our modern Bibles and many modern day approaches to the Bible, the Bible is treated as two distinct parts that have very little to do with each other. This methodology comes out of the liberal revolt in the seminaries in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. 
They look for ways to cut up and divide the word of God using scientific reductionism as the method of study. Despite having a blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is one book. You almost want to say, let's tear that out. It's one book, one story, one God, one people of God one message of the gospel. St. Augustine, the great saint, said this, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. The structure and flow for our worship is found in the Old Testament. The church did not start at Pentecost out of the blue or detach from what God was already doing in the world. God's redemptive plan has been a single plan from man's fall in the garden. God provided us clear instructions in worship in the book of Leviticus. Our passage today is the first clear liturgy set out in the scriptures. We must recognize God's pattern and purposes in worship. Sometimes, just like children and their vegetables, we need to simply submit to God and His Word. Worship is about God's gifts to us. In fact, the gospel is lived out in the liturgy every Lord's Day. Let us consider this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, it says this, Now chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. <coughs> now you might have said, why did you read this? Well, those passages in the Bible that don't seem alive to you, that don't seem relevant, read them anyway. Study them anyway. Because it seems at times like it's just chasing, like I'm just enduring this. But, it's not joyful for right now. I can't figure it out. Sometimes it drags on and on, and it's just painful. Well, as this verse says, and it goes on and says, Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Worshiping the triune God is our greatest duty and our greatest joy. Let us consider our passage. At the beginning of this passage, we see that God calls us. In Leviticus 9, verse 1, it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And we see in verse 5, And all the congregation drew near and stood before Yahweh. Your appointed elders, in hearing God's call from the word of God, calls this congregation of Christ's Reformed Evangelical Church to come together in corporate worship as one people before God the Father to enter into His presence. So we gather here today and every Sunday, the eighth day, just like we see here in this passage. Now the eighth day is the day of Jesus' resurrection. The eighth day is the first day of the new creation. So we gather together to come into the presence of the triune God. Now from last week until now, 
all of us have gotten dirty. We've sinned against God Almighty, and in fact, to each other and to unbelievers. We are covered in the mud of sin. We come into God's presence, bringing with us a need to be cleansed from our sin. So we enter into worship singing, which we remember as glorified speech. We are excited, as it says in Psalm 92, 1, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to Yahweh and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. So we come into the house. We are dirty, but we're coming there and we're singing and giving God praise. And then we must immediately turn to God and make confession of sin. The sin offering is done in the congregation. And obviously, if you study the scriptures, you know that if you committed a trespass or a sin, you could go and offer a, a, a sacrifice for that sin. But here, there is a direct call for God's people all together, assembled together, to confess their sin. Remember last week when we considered that God's call uh, for Adam's confession of sin in Genesis 3? Adam did not repent, and both he and Eve were cast out of the presence of God. The sanctuary presence of God was guarded by the cherubim angel with a flaming sword. If we enter into God's presence without repentance, calling upon Christ, we will be cast out. I bring this up because this is important. The church today, if there's ever going to be hope for the church and the future generations of the church, we must repent of our sins. We must do it certainly every day as we sin against people, make amends and make confession and forgive one another. But when we come together as the people of God, we must do it together lest we be cast out. Unfortunately, too many churches don't turn to God's word. They don't confess their sins. And over time, they don't heed God's discipline. They too, which means you and I can also fall into this, can be cast out. We see in Matthew 22, verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guests, Remember, we are guests of God. He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment, that is, dressed up properly, cleaned up. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him out into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We also see that in Isaiah chapter 6, Beginning in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, and two he covered with his face, and two he covered with his feet. With two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Here, God called Isaiah to his presence. And when he heard and saw the presence of God, he recognized that he was completely undone, not just himself, but even his own people. 
Why? Because he saw the king. It goes on and says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having his hand in a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity taken away, and your sin purged. God provided a way for his sin to be purged so that he could remain in the presence of God and hear the call to bring the call of repentance to all the people of God. You see, then the prophet of Isaiah could remain in the presence of God. We, too, are to come and then confess our sins and be reminded of God's faithfulness to forgive our sins. John 1, 1 John 1. But then, what is our response to this? We should, as Psalm 51, the confession psalm, it instructs us in verse 14, Deliver me from the guilt of my bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. So this is why, after our confession of sin, we sing a psalm, we sing a hymn, we glorify God for his wonderful mercies and grace and forgiveness to us. We sing and rejoice because he has forgiven us. And now we are ready to ascend into our God's presence. Now here we see the ascension offering. In your, in your Bibles it probably says burnt offering. But the Hebrew, the Hebrew word olah means to ascend. Translators understood that the ascension offering was completely burned up and turned into smoke, which ascended into the glory cloud, that it was the presence of God himself. And God was dwelling in that cloud, and he was with the people. In this part of the service, after we've confessed our sins and we sing to God, God, by his mercy and grace, he lifts us up into his presence. And... When we get there, he speaks. We receive his word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. Just like the blade that kills the offering, the blade of God's word cuts up us up. And we see in, the, in that description that part of that animal is cut up. Some of it is cast away. Some of it is rearranged on the altar to be burned up. We too are to be conformed and rearranged to God's word. Remember, God's word is Jesus. We are re- to be conformed to Jesus. We learn when we hear God's word, that parts of our daily life must be cut out and cast away. We draw comfort when we hear God's word that his promises of grace and forgiveness and restoration are there. And then we can rest in his promises. We need to hear God's word again and again and again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 tells us this, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
We need to hear God's word again and again and consider it. Let it cut us up. Let God rearrange us and conform us to him. And what part of scripture should we hear? Verse 16 says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, that is mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now it's interesting, during this time of ascension, we see of the ascension offering that the grain offering or tribute offering is brought. That's in verse 17. Then he brought the grain offering. And this again, this Hebrew word minkah means tribute. And it says he took a handful of it and he burned it on the altar besides the burnt sacrifice of the morning. Grain offerings represent our labors, our tribute. When we bring tithes and offerings, they represent the fruit of all our work here on earth. God is gracious to us. And because we are cleansed of our sins, he accepts the works of our hands. We see in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says this, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things I things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. In Philippians, Paul is telling the Philippian church, that he is blessed, and that their offerings that they are giving to establish the church and to help those in the church in need and and to uh, establish the workers of the church. He says all of this is a sweet-smelling aroma. It's, It's a pleasing sacrifice to God. Now, I know we've all heard of people who've given money to a church because they were trying to establish that they were doing good works for their own glory. We need to remember that if we attempt to bring our tribute to God without confession of sin, we receive judgment, and God does not accept the work of our labors. Consider Cain's offering in Genesis chapter 4. You know the story. He brings the fruit of his labors, but he doesn't doesn't do the sacrifice and confession of sin first, and so God rejects it. And this causes what? Bitterness in his heart towards God. But he wouldn't confess his sin. And out of that bitterness rose up murder and judgment. You see, as we come together as the people of God, all what God has been doing has been to bring us into fellowship with himself and place us at his table. Only his children receive the gifts at his table. Only his children can rest in peace. We see then in Leviticus 7, the peace offering. The pattern of worship after ascending into God's presence was to sit at God's table of peace with the peace offering. Leviticus 7 tells us that a portion of the peace offering was for God. It was burned up completely. A portion was to be eaten by the priest, and a portion was to be eaten by the worshiper and his family. Leviticus 17, Leviticus 22, Numbers 15, and Deuteronomy 12 make it clear that it is for all of God's people. 
Deuteronomy 12, 6. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, which includes your peace offerings, your tithes, your heave offerings, your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before Yahweh your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which Yahweh your God has blessed you. In Deuteronomy 12, you go on to verse 12, it says, And you shall rejoice before Yahweh your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion of inheritance. God continues to expand, to, to expand this. It's you, your family, it's the people in your household. It's everybody. You know, you have that Levite who has no portion of the land. And he's, he's your pastor. You bring him in there too and you rejoice with him. Again, in Deuteronomy 12, you go down to verse 18. It says, but you must eat, eat them before Yahweh your God in the place which Yahweh your God chooses. You and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant and the Levite who is within your gates. And you will rejoice before Yahweh your God in all to which you put your hands. So when God calls us together and he brings us to his peace offering, it is for the covenant household, the people in the covenant household of God. God is gracious and kind. God takes us from a posture, when we come in and confess our sins, of kneeling in repentance to sitting at his table in fellowship with the Father because of the Son and in the power of the Spirit. We are reconciled to God and joined together as one congregation, one people, one holy temple. And because he has called us, forgiven us, we and all our works are sweet aroma of sacrifice to him. As one commentator puts it, we come in with nothing but our sin, and God washes us and gives us his gifts. <clears throat> We were kneeling in contrition, in humility, when we come in, when we go out, sitting at the Lord's table. God is walking us through the gospel message every week. He is reminding us that we are called, cleansed, consecrated, and brought into communion. Why? so that we can be commissioned into his service for his glory, and that the nations may be discipled. And that's when we get our commission. What happened there in, in verse 22? It says, Then Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them, and came down from the offering, from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went to the tabernacle of meeting, and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of Yahweh appeared to all the people. And fire came out before Yahweh and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So we see that after God does all these things, he brings a blessing to us. First his presence. And then we are called and commissioned out. Now, what is it that you say? What, what blessing did he give? In Numbers chapter 6, this is the blessing he would have given. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. 
Now, children, you should recognize this. Are you ready? Are you listening? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You recognize that? What's happening there? Uh, Verse 27 of, of Numbers 6 says this, So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So when that happens, that's just not some symbolic thing. God himself is putting his name on you to carry out his name out into the world, to take the world, the part that he's given to you, whatever dominion that is, no matter how small or how big, you're going to take it and rearrange it so that it glorifies God Almighty. And when people see that, they will glorify your Father in heaven. What does that mean? You can only glorify God when you're transformed. They will be transformed by you being obedient to God. In the Lord's Day service, what God gives us is Himself. Let us not be like a finicky child with his vegetables. Let us not to try to conjure up God's presence with our own efforts and methods. Unfortunately, that's what happens so often. We're trying to manipulate and get God to come down. But God is calling us, and he's calling us up to his presence. Let us remember Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was Yahweh's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day Yahweh has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, who is our gracious Master and provider of all our needs, please help us to remember that you do not leave us without direction in any area of our lives. We ask that you would open our eyes to see and obey your word. May we live penitent, repentant lives before you daily and be joyful in coming before you every Lord's Day. We ask this for Jesus' sake, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.